0: The MCAT Cars Podcast, session number 75. The car section of the MCAT gives thousands of pre-meds nightmares every night. Whether you're an ESL student, lack confidence while reading, or a slow reader like me, Jack Weston and the medical school headquarters are here to help you score higher in every section so you can be confident you're ready to get the MCAT score of your dreams. Welcome to the MCAT Cars Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I hope as I'm recording this that you are safe and sound and all of your loved ones are safe and sound as well. I'm excited to be joined by none other than Jack Weston from jackweston.com, the best MCAT Cars tutor out there. He's got the best course specifically for the MCAT Cars section. If you have been struggling with the MCAT Cars section Go check out jackweston.com. Check out his free training sessions to see if it's something that you would like to try on a more full time basis outside of that free training session. Again, jackweston.com. Let's go and jump into our episode today. Jack Weston back for some more MCAT Cars podcast. How are you today? I'm good, Ryan. How's it going? It is going. It is going. I'm excited to have another conversation with you about. The MCAT Cars podcast and and the section and another breaking down another passage. But before we jump into that, you have some exciting YouTube stuff going on. Why don't you let uh, let the listener know about that?
1: Right. So we've been working towards creating YouTube videos that allow or give information to students about the MCAT and just general MCAT strategies, MCAT prep advice, things that my students normally ask me. Uh, so we've created these quick, short five, 10 minute videos that answer most questions that students come across when they study for the MCAT. And we release these videos about twice a week. So Tuesdays, or I think, yeah, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays in the morning. So if you subscribe, you'll get access to them immediately as soon as they're released. Sweet.
0: Yeah. So youtube.com and uh, just go to Jack Weston as the channel. Um, So that's awesome. And I I have my channel, premed.tv for all my fun videos too.
1: I love YouTube. It's a great platform. Awesome. Yeah. And if uh, anyone has any comments or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to comment or email us or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Subscribe and hit that bell notification as they say. (laughs) Yeah. I say that. Not
0: not bell notification, the bell button to be notified. Um, awesome. What do we have in
1: store passage-wise today? So, today's passage is applicable to what we're going through this week, right? Um, but at the same time, it's vividly describing something, so being able to be, you know, aware of of what's going on and and not ignoring the author. A lot of times I find students are selfish. Now, I don't I hope no one takes this personally, but when you're reading you don't really care about what you're reading, and you're just thinking about your score or how you're going to get the answer correct, and that can lead to a lot of wrong conclusions. So I see this all the time with my students. They'll read an answer choice, and they'll interpret it in a way that fits in with what they want. That's what I mean by being selfish. They they just want it to say what they want it to say, right? Uh, or they read it in a way where it it's basically what they want to pick, and when you're reading, you want to tend to stay away from that. You want to try to be objective. You want to try to read it for what it's truly saying. And for harder articles, it's, it's, it's not easy to do because sometimes we're not sure what they're saying. So we guess, and we try to make it seem like what we want it to say, right? Be careful when that happens, be aware of it, slow down and take one, one sentence at a time, right? Try to understand the sentence in front of you. And then allow that to help you understand the next sentence. Don't let your mind just wander and guess what's happening.
0: All righty. So again, if you want to follow along, go to the uh, description, the little show notes in the podcast app that you're listening to this on. There'll be a link to the article there. So first paragraph here, in Isaac Asimov's novel, Foundation, from 1951, the mathematician Hari Seldon forecasts the collapse of the galactic empire using psychohistory, a calculus of the patterns that occur in the reaction of the mass of humanity to social and economic events. Wow, all right, so really long sentence there, uh, a few Key things I took out of it, obviously names. I I I think we always talk about just uh, always remember the name. So we have Isaac Asimov, which I think most people would know. uh, His novel here. We have a mathematician, uh, Hari or Harry Selden. uh, The collapse of the Galactic Empire. So some Star Wars stuff. It sounds kind of cool. And then psychohistory. So a lot of these words, like how he's forecasting, how this mathematician is forecasting things that confuses me, but I hope you're going to tell me to just move on
1: and, and you don't need to know the details of it. No, no <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> oh, darn it. All right. Uh, so the reason why you had a hard time summarizing it is because you went too fast. Oh, right? okay. And it's the very first sentence of the passage. And this is a common thing. And especially when, when you get a hard article or hard passage, we tend to overestimate how quickly or Um, how we should really pay attention. This is exactly the problem that many students face, and you could be a genius and you could still have this problem, right? So always read the very first sentence slowly because you never know how difficult the article will be. Obviously the sentence is long, convoluted, a lot of words. So read slowly so that you catch on to it because it will help you understand the next sentence. Now, this goes back to what I originally said, right? Before we you read the sentence, you might start guessing if you read too quickly. You might start thinking, oh, well, pre, you know, it says something about calculus and patterns. So I'll just guess, you know. It's okay to do that if you're in the middle of the article, right? And it's getting tough. But this is the very first sentence. Hmm. Like literally, this is this is gonna describe everything we're gonna talk about in the future of this article. So it's important to establish a strong foundation now right and not halfway through when you've pretty much guessed the wrong stuff and you're now lost in the passage right so i think it's worth us to break it down let's go ahead and uh, worth it to break it down so let's go ahead and do that so in isaac asimov's novel foundation now notice this is italicized which means that it's probably an uh, a book, a movie, or whatever. Now it says it's a novel, so we know it's a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but notice that anything that's in italics right, is usually a piece of work. It could be a piece of art, it could be the name of a ship, it could be the name of a movie. In this case, it's the name of a book. Uh, the mathematician, Selden, forecasts. Now, that's something that's not used in common vocab. right? We don't talk about forecasting with our friends but you can probably imagine what that means, right? What does that mean, forecasting?
0: Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the
1: the right word, Uh, educated guessing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, predicting, right? The collapse of the galactic empire, that sounds really novelish, right? It sounds like a fiction. Using psychohistory, what the heck is psychohistory, right? Hopefully they'll talk about it, which they do because they put colon a colon right in front of it, right? So they're describing what psychohistory is. So Selden is basically forecasting the end of this empire, right? Using a calculus of the patterns that occur in the reaction of the mass of humanity to social and economic events. That's really tough to understand. But if, you, if you're reading it slowly, it's basically being able to understand how people react to different environments or 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 events right social or economic events and that's similar to what, what we're doing dealing with today right so in some ways seldon is predicting the end of a empire right using the you know the, the way people react to different events okay Okay, so now now will that be important later on? Maybe they they might describe this for another two or three paragraphs, or maybe the whole thing. We don't know. Go ahead and, and let's go ahead and. <laughs> All it. right.
0: So so good good classic mistake there. Going ah, it's not important, and then it may be very very important. How?
1: So. Yeah, and I I can see students right or hear students right now asking me. Well how do I know when something's important and yep. when something's not important? Because when I, you know, we've read these articles in the past, um you've, you know, skipped over certain not skipped over, but basically said, "Okay, let's move forward." Mm. and I was content with that. I said, "Yeah, that's a great idea." The reason why I say don't do this for this sentence is because it's the very first sentence, right? It, it establishes mm. what we're talking about. It it forms the basis of the entire passage. Yeah. Potentially. So it's worth reading it slowly and really getting it down. Okay. Okay.
0: Initially put on trial for treason on the grounds that his prediction encourages said collapse, Selden is permitted to set up a research group on a secluded planet. All right, so the the novel or the kind of the summary of this novel goes on a little bit of this uh, mathematician being put uh, on trial and that he can go uh, set up a research group on another planet.
1: Right, and maybe this is important, maybe it's not, but basically he's put on trial for what? Why is he put on trial for treason? Uh, Basically encouraging the collapse. Right, that's a claim, right? Like, yeah. he was just trying to predict the collapse. Now they're saying because you're predicting, you're encouraging the collapse, yeah. right? Yeah. And again, like, it, it, that's something that's very similar or resembles what we're going through today, right? Mm. So... If you think the economy is going to tank or you forecast it, are you really responsible for it when it happens? Right. Yeah. So that's just in- interesting related to what we're, you know, we're dealing with. Go ahead.
0: There, he investigates how to minimize the destruction and reduce the subsequent period of anarchy from 30,000 years to a mere 1,000. So it just continues on how Seldon is trying to figure out how to reduce the, the damage from the collapse in terms Excellent. of length.
1: Excellent, that's what—that's the difference between someone who gets a 132 and someone who gets like a 122, right? Is when a 132 is immersed, they're really into it. They're like, wow, cool, Selden, oh, awesome. A 122 student is like, oh, I can't wait to get over this passage, I can't wait to finish this. Mm. Oh, am I gonna do well? They're not paying attention, they're selfish, right? If you wanna do well, stop thinking about any of that stuff. Just delve into it, accept it, embrace it. That's key here, especially for the first paragraph. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay.
0: All right. Next paragraph. Asimov knew that predicting large-scale political events over periods of millennia is not really plausible. All right. So now we're talking about the author, not the actual novel, I think. Um, And so it's the the author of this article is saying that the author of the book, the novel, um didn't like is just saying like we we can't predict these things, okay, yeah, sounds good, but we all do suspend this disbelief when reading fiction, all right, so again, the author of this article is saying that we don't really care about that when we're immersed in a book,
1: exactly, great.
0: No Jane Austen fan gets upset to be told that Elizabeth Bennet or Mr. Darcy didn't actually exist. <laughs> like, no! Um, that's funny. I I watch The Walking Dead. I'm a huge Walking Dead fan. Uh, and there's a... Uh, uh, a, a term that a podcast i listen to for the show they call it suspension of disbelief like when you, when you're watching it and you go that can't happen it's, you just have to suspend your disbelief
1: yeah exactly and it, i you know it, who's who's responsible for that though right a, a good director a good you yeah. know novelist yep i think if you're a good writer or a good you know script writer i think you'll you figure out how to get your uh, audience really involved
0: yeah Asimov was smart enough to know that such forecasting, however accurate it might be, is vulnerable to any large disturbance that hasn't been anticipated, not even in principle. All right, so so again, forecasting uh, what this author is saying is forecasting. Asimov knew when you forecast you you can't predict um, outbreaks and other stuff that that may happen that would disrupt that forecasting.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So awesome. You under, you're getting it, you're understanding it, very involved with what you're reading. Perfect. Great. Now keep in mind, you have to keep the bigger picture of this, you know, as you're reading, you don't want to just get into the details. It's, it's, it's weird because yes, I want you to be immersed immersed into what you're reading, right? Immersed. But at the same time, you have to be thinking, why are we talking about this? Why is the author bringing this up? seems like we've been talking about predictions and and forecasting this whole time, right? Right. So maybe the theme that connects paragraph one and two is that forecasting, right? Whether it's a novel or whatever it is. Yep. All right.
0: He also understood that readers who happily swallowed psychohistory would realize the same thing. So again, the... The author here is saying that Asimov knew that the readers would understand that that we can't really forecast for that long.
1: Right. So that that is the key point here, right? That there are there are problems with forecasting. You can yep. have issues. Excellent.
0: Yep. In the second volume of the series, just such a quote black swan event derails Seldon's plans. All right. So again, we were a couple sentences ago we were told hey forecasting is vulnerable to a large disurb- a disturbance and then we're told here in the second book there was a large disturbance potentially
1: yeah so it's interesting right we're talking about selden's plans and certainly they're not going to you know the way they they're supposed to go right yeah what what is the author calling this a black swan black swan so now you are responsible as a reader to understand what a black swan is. And if you read that too quickly, you're lost. You're thinking, what? A black swan? That like, You have no idea, right? Yeah. So we now know. We associate black swan to some kind of disturbance in the forecast, right? Something that happens that alters the forecast. Yep. Or not alters the forecast, but alters the conclusion of the forecast. Okay, go
0: ahead. All right. Mm. Yeah, this is interesting, especially especially with everything going on. All right, so Black Swan, however, Seldon has a contingency plan, one that the series later reveals also brings some surprises. All right, so in in the novel, this mathematician has apparently some contingency plans for this Black Swan event.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, oh, this will happen only if that happens or yeah. only, you know, this is the exception to this happening. So, basically, Seldon is creating these different ways out, right, Mm. uh, of the prediction in case it falters or it goes the wrong way. Okay, awesome. All right.
0: Asimov's Foundation series is notable for concentrating on the political uh, machinations of key groups, of the key groups, instead of churning out page upon page of space battles between vast fleets armed to the teeth. All right, um so the so this sentence is telling us a little bit about the book uh and what Asimov focuses on right the the political machines, I guess is another way to just say that instead of yeah. just space battles.:
1: excellent, yeah, now you don't need to know what machinations means, right? It's just probably political- you know jargon you know political like discussions and stuff. Mm. so it seems like that's where they're more focused on the drama instead of the battles, yeah, okay.
0: The protagonists receive regular reports of such battles, but the description is far from a Hollywood treatment. All right, so just a little bit more about the book that that we know the battles are going on in the book, but it's not what the focus of the book is on.
1: Excellent, yeah. Just reemphasizing the same thing that for the first sentence said.
0: Yep the plot as asimov himself stated is modeled on edward gibbon's book the history of the decline and fall of the roman empire 1776 to 89 and a masterclass in planning on an epic scale for uncertainty ooh sounds like we should read this uh all right so the the book is modeled based or based on another book and uh, apparently is good a, a good book for uncertainty so are we supposed to, so this last part of the sentence and a masterclass in planning on an epic scale for uncertainty, is that the author's point of view or is that part of Asimov's statement where he is saying that that's what it is?
1: You know, this is just how it is. This okay. is the the way that they're related. The book is related to what they did and uh, what Asimov did in the found, in foundation. Okay.
0: Every senior minister and civil servant should be obliged to read it. Interesting. Okay. So I think this is the author's point of view saying, hey, like if you're a servant, a senior minister, you should read this book.
1: Good. Yeah. No, you know, you could say that this is the author's point of view, that it's a master class in planning. Mm. Um, The planning part. Of an epic scale for uncertainty is still related to both, right? That's yeah. that's that's the part I'm talking about. But in terms of masterclass, yeah, you could say that's the author's opinion.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I want to go read this book now. All right. Psychohistory, a fictional method for predicting humanity's future, takes a hypothetical mathematical technique to extremes for dramatic effect. All right. So now we're we're
1: diving into what psychohistory is a little bit. Right. So it's so weird. We went from talking about this book, giving the details, to now emphasizing psychohistory, which we kind of already defined in the first paragraph.
0: Mm-hmm. But for less ambitious tasks, we use the basic idea every day. For example, when a supermarket manager estimates how many bags of flour to put on the shelves, or an architect assesses the likely size of a meeting room when designing a building. All right. So now we're, we're getting some comparisons of uh, psychohistory, which is a fictional method to how we use something similar every day to, to, um, uh, what do you call, um, what do you call the it, predicting? Yeah. Yeah.
1: predicting. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't think of the word predicting what, uh, what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. I love how you pointed out that psychohistory is fictional, right? Mm-hmm. It is fictional, but the author is trying to blend it into what we do in normal life. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. The
0: character of Selden was, to some extent, inspired by Quatel Quatelet, one of the first to apply mathematics to human behavior. All right. So we have this uh, Adolphe uh, person um, who Selden is, is apparently modeled after.
1: Good. Good. Yeah. So the, obviously, Asimov is using the books right from the past. Uh, in this case, using some person, right? That's maybe a- applicable to math. So yeah, go ahead. Quattelet was born in
0: 1796 in Ghent in the Low Countries, now Belgium. All right, it's a little history of, of this guy. Today's obsessions were the promises and dangers of, quote, big data and artificial intelligence are direct descendants of Quattelet's brainchild. All right, so a little bit of connecting this person from 1796 and making him more
1: applicable today with uh, big data artificial intelligence. That's such a big jump, right? Mm-hmm. We went from like talking about psycho history to predicting to now predicting artificial intelligence and big data. You yeah. know, it's okay. Yeah, I, I picture reading this passage and and being
0: at one of those like detective boards with the red string all th- thrown around like how do we get from this one book and written in the, the the 50s to this guy born in 1796 to artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah, that's the challenge of cars. You're reading something that you would have probably never read if it wasn't for this test. Mm. You are supposed to keep track of everything, and students just don't realize that they think they have to look for things and, and figure things out and solve the problem. It's just listening. It's a conversation, just like you would have with your friends and family. It could go anywhere at any time. I think you've probably done this, right? Mm. Where you you're in a conversation. Oh, how's how are the kids? Or oh, how's you know? Are you watching? Are you keeping up with basketball? And then all of a sudden, you're talking about something totally random, you know? Yeah. So the author's doing this with us. We just have to be open-minded and embrace it and accept whatever the author's throwing at us, but just keep track of how things flowed, right? They flew, you know, how how things were structured. And as long as you have that, you can't get any question wrong. You'll get everything right.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Ooh. All right. Um yeah that's it, it's it's interesting just the the challenge of trying to read the car section understand what the author's reading but also keeping everything aligned and uh, yeah i can i can see just how hard it is right uh, yeah and obviously we can take our time here but when you're when you have three or four or five minutes to to speed through these it, it can get challenging see that's that okay so
1: that is the that is the one thing i want everyone to be clear on right you don't have to have that feeling you don't have to think i have to rush on test day right so well, how we're reading today is a little bit too much we're doing this because i want you know i want you guys to really focus on comprehension understanding these sentences forming the you know the bigger picture you're right you don't want to read in this like detail when you're when you're when you're uh, on your own but that doesn't mean you have to rush through it. You never want to rush through the read. Okay, the, the reading part is where you want to spend most of your time. The questions are quick if you can read well. So the problem I I find with students is they'll read very quickly because they feel like they're going to waste time or lose time, and then when they get to the questions, they're lost. They have no idea what to look for, where where it is, what how it's how to answer it. We want to we want to alleviate that read in a relaxed manner read with purpose but don't just pause and dwell for 30 seconds right you don't have that luxury you don't need that you don't you don't really need that on this test anyways you just have to understand these big picture ideas and read it within i would say 7 minutes 7 8 minutes believe it or not and you have maybe 30 seconds per question right so 30 to 45 seconds per question. And you may be thinking, well, is that all the time I need? Yeah, that's all you need. You don't need more than 45 seconds if you read the passage well. Now, what if it's a really hard question? Let it go, come back to it later, right? What's the rush, right? Why why do you have to get it right right now? Go through the other questions, get those right, come back to it. That's the hard part. So figuring out how to read is hard enough, but making yourself believe that you have to rush through it makes it almost impossible. So first figure out how to read, figure out how to understand these things. And I promise you over time, you're not going to have this issue. You're going to be fine. You're going to be able to finish on time and finish the questions on time. All right. He didn't call it psychotherapy, of course, of course, because it's
0: fake. Uh, He called it social physics. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure the, the the pre-med student listening to this going, social physics, there's more physics I need to hate? Social physics too? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So that we're given a name for this Quatelet's uh, brainchild.
1: Sounds good. So we're transitioning from the book idea, psychohistory, to Quatelet's idea, right? With math or whatever mm-hmm. you're about to talk about. Yep. All right.
0: Next paragraph. The basic tools and techniques of statistics were born in the physical sciences, especially astronomy. Okay, so just uh, some, now we're, now we're in the history of statistics here. <laughs> okay. They originated in a systematic method to extract information from observations subject to unavoidable errors. Um, okay, so just, uh, again, more, more history of statistics. As the understanding of probability theory grew, a few pioneers extended the method beyond its original boundaries. Okay, so uh, we're potentially gonna get a little more history here about how statistics grew. Statistics became indispensable in biology, medicine, government, the humanities, even sometimes the arts. Okay, so just more, more statistics and where it's being used and and how it's indispensable, so it's important. So it's fitting that the person who lit the fuse was a pure mathematician turned astronomer, one who succumbed to the siren song of the social sciences. All right, so the um, lit the fuse, right? So we have some idioms here that a, a student who is maybe ESL might not understand, so lit the fuse, right, started all of this thing with statistics was a mathematician turned astronomer. And and the first sentence tells us statistics was born out of astronomy.
1: Um right. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And the whole succumb to the siren song. Yep. That's just a way of saying you're attracted to something. Yep. Exactly. Right? Um, and yeah, so I think the most important sentence is probably the second one. They originated in a systematic method to extract information from observations subject to unavoidable errors. That's basically psycho history, isn't it? You're predicting things where you might have errors, unavoidable errors. Very similar to psychohistory. So good. We just now call it statistics. All righty. All right. Next paragraph. Quatelettes
0: bequeathed to posterity the realization that, despite all the vagaries of free will and circumstance, the behavior of humanity in bulk is far more predictable than we like to imagine. All right, so lots of big words here. Um, so this guy, Quattelet, um basically saying that... the be- I'm going to try to avoid all of these big words and just get to the nitty-gritty. Basically saying, Quatelet is saying that our behavior is
1: predictable. Oh, that was great, man. Yeah, that. so this is that part where I go don't worry about it because you, you know, you know what's going on. You know, it's about statistics, predictions, errors, right? So why are you lost? in, You know, if you, not you, but whoever's reading, right? Why are you lost in bequeath to posterity? The real, this is all fluff. This is all nonsense. Focus on the part that really makes sense because you already have the basis, the con the, the context of what you're reading, right? You're not going to change it up last minute this much, right? So just be, confident with what you're reading. Be honest about what you do understand and don't pretend to summarize or grab some of the information that you have no idea what it's really talking about.
0: Okay. Not perfectly by any means, but as they say, quote, good enough for government work. All right. So so the the prediction of behavior, right? It's good enough. It's not perfect, but it's good enough. Okay. He also left us two specific ideas. Uh, (laughs) Le Homme Moyen, the average man, and the ubiquity of the normal probability distribution, better known as the bell curve. Ooh, bell curve, I think most students will know that. So we have the average man comes from Quetelet and the bell curve as well. Interesting. Both are useful tools that opened up new ways of thinking and that have serious flaws if taken too literally or applied too widely. All right, so good ending there, basically saying we have this this last paragraph is all about humanity and and behavior is predictable but it, it if we try to use it too much then it falls apart
1: Maybe. great so can you i mean this is going to be challenging but can you tell me what do you think the author really cares about after reading this like what do you what do you what is the point the author really is trying to make here
0: ooh um so the the focus of the last few paragraphs is all about statistics. And this last one, finishing up, focuses on human behavior. So something with
1: that. That was excellent. Yeah, so something that basically goes along the lines of statistics can tell us more about human behavior than we realize. right? Even though there may be errors, they can help us. They can help us. And the way the author got to this point was by starting off with some random novel, right? and then transitioning the idea of that novel, Psychohistory, to statistics. right Now, keeping track of the dates, you know the novel was, what, 1950s, right? Mm-hmm. But he referenced things that came from 1700s, right? And then they went back, and and the author even compared um, this idea to Quartelet's idea, who was also from the 1700s. So you can also assume that the birth of statistics or the ideas of predictions were from the 1700s. And that's kind of the relationship the author is trying to build here, right? That these things can be found in our past and they're relatable to us today, as well as in novels and books. Yeah. All right. So this was
0: a, an interesting one that, that, again, just so many different ties that you had to follow and, and, a lot of stuff that potentially wasn't relevant that you had to get through to get to the idea of what the author was talking about. So would you say this is
1: a good CARS type passage? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first three paragraphs were bogus, but (laughs) they help you understand the rest of the passage. Yeah. So if you didn't read the first three paragraphs well, you're not going to be confident with yourself when you get to that fourth or fifth paragraph that really talk about the juice, the meat that we really need, right? So in this case, absolutely. You have to keep track of the transition, the conversation. You don't want to get too lost into the details, but when you're starting off the passage, you should understand it as well as you possibly can. All
0: right, there you have it. It's another great episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As I mentioned at the beginning, as we're recording this, we're still in the middle of our pandemic. I hope you are safe and sound. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to check out jackweston.com. Did you know he's got free emails that go right to your email inbox to to load you up with a Cars passage of the day? Go check those out, jackweston.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Cars Podcast.